If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open up to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4 is where we are headed together today as we continue our way through the book of Daniel this fall. Uh, And as we have other weeks, I would love two or three people to help as we read Daniel chapter 4. Who is interested? All right, Zane, I see you. Bill, you raised your hand. Can I get one more person maybe who'd be willing to, to help out? Peter? All right. Yeah, it'll all be on the screen. Um, so you guys are spread out. So um, can I get uh, maybe you two, uh, Peter and Zane, to come over this way? Uh, and when we get time to read, we'll pass the mic around. I'll read some as well. Uh, but as we get ready for that, um, quick review. As we've been going through the book of Daniel, we have seen this consistent theme of God's everlasting kingdom. Uh, That's what this whole book is about. In chapter 1, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar invades Jerusalem and carts off people into exile, but Daniel and his friends continue living as if God is king. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a terrifying dream of a massive statue that crumbles under the force of a rock that grows into a mountain and fills the whole earth. And only God can reveal the meaning of this dream. So through prayer, Daniel comes and tells Nebuchadnezzar that this dream is about how his and all other kingdoms will eventually fall. But God's kingdom will grow and ultimately endure forever. Last week in chapter 3, we saw Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who seems to have heard the bit about a big statue in the dream, but missed the part about God and God's kingdom. So in chapter 3, he builds a big statue to honor himself and commands all people bow down to it. But if they refuse, then he will throw them into a fiery furnace. Andrea, did you say that you set your hair on fire this week? You're taking that very literally. Um, Way to go on application. Yeah. Um, He threw them into the fiery furnace, but God delivered them, showing his power and his authority over Nebuchadnezzar and the God that he would have them worship, right? So this entire book, as we've seen, is about God's everlasting kingdom. In chapter 4, as we will see today, is no different. But chapter 4 is surprising. Daniel chapter 4 is a bit, it begins a bit the same way as stave 5 of A Christmas Carol. Uh, If if you're familiar with it, it's the very ending of A Christmas Carol after Ebenezer Scrooge's wild dreams and experiences. He, the notoriously grumpy Christmas hater, wakes up filled with joy. And every person he sees, he greets them with the words, Merry Christmas. And everyone thinks, who is this person and what has happened? Right? It's a surprise and a shock to everyone. Well, Daniel chapter 4 begins and ends with a proclamation of God's everlasting kingdom 
And the person proclaiming it is none other than Nebuchadnezzar himself. What has happened to bring these words of proclamation and praise out of the mouth of Babylon's king? Well, that's the story we hear in Daniel chapter 4. So, let's take turns reading. I'll start and then just pass it along, and then um, we'll have a second round, all right? Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs! How mighty his wonders! His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was laying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream. But they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came in my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Balthazar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the vision I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, Cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip all its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal, till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes, and sets them over the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time. 
and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump, bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field, while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass for him. This interpretation, or this is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the, the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that Most High is the sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command, leave the stump of the tree, its roots means your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your, witness by, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? And by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came to him from heaven. This is what is decreed for you. King Nebuchadnezzar, your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claw of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the people of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. 
My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Thank you guys for reading. Uh, You can head back to your seats if you'd like. And as we continue, let us pause and pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your word. And thank you for stories like these that remind us of your power and authority, but also your grace and mercy. Lord, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture together today, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, the story, this chapter, is so unique. It begins with Nebuchadnezzar praising God, and it ends the very same way. First person, the king of Babylon praising God. What has happened? Well, Nebuchadnezzar had another bad dream. And once again, Daniel is called upon to offer an interpretation. In Nebuchadnezzar's words, The spirit of the holy gods is in him. So he called. I I love this. This is so close to a theology of the Holy Spirit. Nebuchadnezzar's just barely getting it, uh, but not quite there. But Daniel is known for his wisdom. Daniel is known for his spirituality. And so Nebuchadnezzar summons him, describes his dream to Daniel. Daniel offers an interpretation and Uh, some advice, and then things get weird, right? I mean, it starts off with a dream about a giant tree in the middle of the earth getting cut down, and then fast forward 12 months, and the king himself is crawling around in the wild, eating grass like an ox, getting drenched in the rain with wild hair and sharp nails like bird's claws, right? Didn't see that coming, and that's where it brought us, right? I love the Bible, right? It just brings us to the least expected places. What is going on in a story like this? Well, these two primary images of a tree and of an animal uh, give us quite a lot to think about. Now, I want to spend a little bit of time reflecting on each one of them, but before we get to that, let's just look at the bigger context of what exactly is going on with Nebuchadnezzar uh, and, and what is bringing this to him. So again, after in the dream, the tree is cut down, the remaining stump suddenly seems to become a person. Uh, In verse 16, it says the stump's mind is changed from that of a man to the mind of an animal, right? So we've got some metaphor switching going on, which is not uncommon in weird dreams to suddenly switch from one thing to another. When Daniel interprets this, he says that this will actually happen, right? Uh, he, he says to the king, I, I, I wish that, that this was about one of your enemies or something, but 
This is about you, and this is going to happen. In verse 25, he says to the king, you will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. You will be drenched with the dew of heaven. And then it does happen. So how does it come to this? Though this whole book began in chapter 1, with Daniel and his friends being schooled in the ways of Babylon, in many ways, the rest of the book seems to be so far Nebuchadnezzar being schooled in the ways of God. By the end of chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has admitted to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. But he doesn't quite get it. So by the end of chapter 3, he's clearly impressed with the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who's delivered them from the fire, and he forbids anyone else from saying anything against this God. But, as we noticed last week, he continues his habit of harsh ruling with threats of death and destruction. So, Nebuchadnezzar has more to learn. And the lesson that he is meant to learn is made clear in this chapter because it is repeated over and over again. At the end of his dream, he recounts how in verse 17 he is told what will happen. And it says, this will happen so that the living may know the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. And that's the first time he's told this. Then again, when Daniel interprets the dream in verse 25, he tells the king, you'll be driven away from people, live with the animals, eat grass like the ox, be drenched with dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes, right? And then again, when the moment comes and this actually comes to pass, a voice from heaven speaks to Nebuchadnezzar. And in verse 32, it says to him, you'll be driven away from the people, live with the wild animals, eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. And he gives them to anyone he wishes. The story makes its point clear by repetition, right? If we want to make something clear, we underline it or put it in bold or italics when we're typing it in Microsoft Word. They didn't have that back then, so they just say it over and over again until it really sinks in. This is taking place so that Nebuchadnezzar will know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms on earth. And he gives them to whoever he wishes. And this is really not one thing, it's two things. It's that God rules the kingdoms on earth, and also God cares about the people on earth. God rules the kingdoms on earth, earth, right? He has the power, but notice he doesn't keep that power to himself. He sets 
those who he chooses over the kingdoms, even the lowliest. So God rules over the kingdoms on earth, but he cares for the people on the earth as well. God rules and God cares. This is what Nebuchadnezzar is being taught. And bit by bit, Nebuchadnezzar has been learning little pieces of the first half of that, right? God, this, this most high God is pretty impressive, right? I'll at least allow the worship of this God in my kingdom. But it still hasn't made its way to changing Nebuchadnezzar's heart or his actions. Because if anyone badmouths this God, well, I'm going to cut them to pieces and turn their houses into rubble, right? He's still the same old Nebuchadnezzar. The repeated refrain that we see here is not only that God rules in heaven, but he rules on earth. One scholar put it this way, Nebuchadnezzar would certainly have accepted that the Most High God ruled in heaven. There's no problem about that. That's what gods are for, right? They do heaven things out there. Let him rule in heaven all he likes, so long as he stays there. But the point that Nebuchadnezzar couldn't quite handle is that the God of heaven rules on earth. The God of heaven cares about how things go on earth. Because God's rule is not only in heaven, but also on earth. That affects how things are meant to be here on earth. And that has implications for Nebuchadnezzar and the way that he rules on earth. Every week when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, our lives are implicated in that prayer. As we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, that means our lives should be changed by this God who rules and this God who cares. But Nebuchadnezzar has a hard time breaking these old habits, right? He continues his regimen of ruthless rule. But learning the rule of God means learning the way of God. If we're going to acknowledge that God rules, then we need to know God's way. And this is always true. God is never satisfied with good theology alone. God desires good character. He desires good people, good lives. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar is continuing to learn. Yes, God deals in power. Nebuchadnezzar knows power. But more than that, God deals in people. And Nebuchadnezzar has a tendency to crush them rather than care for them. God rules over kingdoms, but God also cares for people. This is why when he's interpreting the dream, Daniel continues after he finishes his interpretation. And he tells Nebuchadnezzar in verse 27, 
renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. You're consumed with power, but you have failed to see those who need to be cared for. So make things right by being kind to the oppressed. Renounce your sins against God, but also renounce your oppression of people. I can't help but think Jesus tells his followers the most important thing is what? To love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's exactly what Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar here. You need to acknowledge that God, the Most High, is sovereign over all. Part of that means being kind to those oppressed people. Being kind to the people that you have oppressed. Do what is right and be kind to the oppressed. And whether or not Nebuchadnezzar listened or heard these words of advice, he certainly does not seem to act on them. Because 12 months later, he's taken a stroll on the upper deck of the palace, and he's looking out at things, this whole empire, and all his thoughts are of himself. Verse 30, he says, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Wow. Not only does he fail to acknowledge God, but he also continues to ignore the people of his kingdom, right? Daniel's already told them in previous chapters the power you have has been given to you by God. It's not yours. You didn't get it yourself. But Nebuchadnezzar takes credit for it himself. But also, another thing that Nebuchadnezzar does in this proclamation of the great place that he's built, you can be sure that Nebuchadnezzar did not lift so much as a finger to the construction of his palace. He was not out there shaping bricks, stacking them up. He wasn't there with a hammer, right? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, his palace and the walls that he is standing on and looking at were built by servants, by slaves. His whole empire was built by raiding cities and carting people off into exile, right? That's what, Babylon, that's what he's done, what Babylon does. And he doesn't acknowledge any of that. He does not see the people he's been tasked to care for. He still sees his whole life as a self-centered project of self-reliance and self-fulfillment. And isn't that the task that we're often given by the world around us? Build up yourself, build up your kingdom, rely on yourself, take credit for all the things that go right, point fingers about all the things that go wrong, right? I mean, this is the script of Nebuchadnezzar, this is the script of our world today. 
as we seek to grow our reputation rather than our character, right? Building our kingdoms. As we're often more concerned with ourselves than we are compassionate toward others. That's what we're called to. And compassionate even toward our enemies, right? Isn't it a great example here as Daniel is having this conversation with Nebuchadnezzar that when he gets the interpretation, your kingdom's going to be cut from you and you're going to wander around in the wild for a while. I can imagine it might be easy to go, finally, like you're getting what you deserve. You kidnapped us and carted us off here and now you're the one who's getting carted off. But he doesn't say that. He's troubled in his spirit. He seems, I mean, maybe he's just kind of saying what he can to make sure that the king doesn't snap and kill him, but it seems like he actually has some measure of care about Nebuchadnezzar. He's actually a little bit disturbed by what he's seen. It's easy to delight in the downfall of our enemies, but that is not the way of God either. We're hardly different in the way that we live from those medieval astronomers who insisted that the the universe revolved around the earth, with the earth at its center, except we often go further and say that the earth itself revolves around us, right? This is the way that we're taught to live. It's the way we're encouraged to live. It's a snapshot of Nebuchadnezzar. And so then all that has been spoken to him takes place. It all happens. In verse 31, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. And he's driven from society and sent into the wild. So what does all of this have to do with eating grass and growing wild hair and claws and stuff like How do these things go together that we're talking about? Here's one of the central messages of the book of Daniel. The the main message we've been looking at and exploring is that God is king, right? God is king. But a second theme that we will see as we continue through Daniel is this. When humans confuse themselves with God... They do not become more than human. Rather, they become less than human. When humans confuse themselves with God, they become like wild animals and tend to treat others like animals as well. When people try to make themselves bigger than humans, they end up becoming like animals instead. We see this on an individual level here with Nebuchadnezzar, but in the later parts of Daniel, we're going to see this play out on a much bigger scale in some of the wild visions that Daniel will have. There will be kingdoms and empires, and they will be depicted as wild beasts that destroy build themselves up. We'll see these kingdoms and empires depicted as budding goats and rams and things. We've got a lot of fun stuff ahead. 
But the point is this, when people try to make themselves more than human, they end up becoming less than human and treating others in the very same way. There's this author named Steve Cuss who writes and speaks about people and their experiences of anxiety and and, and all kinds of stuff. He, He has this great line where he says this, God wants us to be exactly human-sized. God wants us to be exactly human-sized. Not smaller than human-sized, shrunken and folded in on ourselves as we try to take up less space in the world. And not larger than human-sized, like giants, like God, powerful and confident when we try to take control of the world. God wants us to be exactly human-sized. I love that. When we try to make ourselves bigger, we actually become less than human. We become deformed. We become angry, aggressive, wild animals. I mean, we see it around us every day as people tear each other apart and tear others down and build themselves up instead. In the same way, when we try to make ourselves smaller, we end up getting pushed around like animals. And we end up devaluing what God has actually created us to be, humans in his image. King Nebuchadnezzar tried to make himself bigger. He tried to become like God. And in doing so, he became like an animal. Isn't this the very first temptation? Whenever an animal approached humans and said, do you want to be like God? the temptation that's before us all the time. And when we follow it, we too become like animals. This is what happens on an individual level, but this is also, as we'll see through the rest of the book and the visions there, this is what empires do. This is what empires do. They build themselves up. They oppress everyone else. And they become like wild animals. It's striking to me that at the very end of the Bible, we have another colorful story filled with wild visions and beasts, the book of Revelation. And in it, we see a picture of Jesus. But when Jesus arrives, he does not appear as a wild, aggressive, angry, violent beast. Rather, Jesus appears as a lamb that was slain. This is who Jesus is. And this is how he rules. Not by slaying others, but by being slain. And we see the same thing as we uh, switch to the metaphor of the tree, the image of the tree that we also see in this dream of his, 
Nebuchadnezzar's dream begins with this massive, beautiful, impressive tree. And when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he talks about it like a tree. But Jesus says the kingdom of God begins like a tiny mustard seed. Right? It begins small rather than massive. It begins ordinary rather than beautiful. And it begins obscure rather than impressive. Nonetheless, when Jesus continues this parable, that little mustard seed will become a place for the birds to make their nests and for all creatures to call home. And in the same way, when Jesus rules, he rules from a tree. Because Jesus' throne is a cross. In the Gospel of John, he says, I will be lifted up. It's this language of enthronement, and yet he uses this language to refer to his crucifixion. This is how Jesus rules. Not by oppressing others, but by being oppressed by them. He rules not by killing his enemies, but by being killed by them. And it's through his sacrifice that the kingdom of God is established and that a way is made for us. And so with this image of, the, of a tree and the way of Christ, I, I cannot help but think of Jesus' words in John 15 where he says, I am the vine, I am the tree, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the vine, I am the tree, and you are the branches. When we try to become our own tree, then we'll end up cut down, just like Nebuchadnezzar's tree was. When we try to make ourselves God, we will become like wild animals. But when we acknowledge Jesus as the true tree, and when we become branches abiding in him, that's when we grow and flourish and bear the fruit of the everlasting kingdom of God. Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind and became like an animal. But in verse 34, all that it took was for him to raise his eyes towards heaven. And it's, he says, my sanity was restored. And so let us be a people who raise our eyes to heaven. A, a people who see Jesus for who he is and who see others as he does. Let us see the world with his eyes and live as he lived. When we acknowledge 
God and root ourselves in his love and in Jesus as the true vine, then we can join with Nebuchadnezzar of all people in these words. Read them with me. How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Amen. Let us continue worshiping.